Welcome to the King's Church Podcast. At the King's Church, we exist to see a greater worship of Jesus through declaring and displaying the gospel. You're about to listen to a sermon from our weekly corporate worship gathering. If you want to follow along with the sermon notes, they can be found on our website, kingschurchlkld.com. Well, good morning. My name is Rob Lercy, and I am a member here at the King's Church. And um, man, it's been a minute since we've met, and I don't know about you guys, but this whole cancellation of just last Sunday, school being canceled, I'm completely thrown off on what day it was this past week and preparation and, and everything. So uh, hopefully I'm not alone in that. Uh, maybe you guys, I've talked to a few of you here, that you guys are kind of coming out of this fog. Maybe you're still in a fog. But the great thing is that, just like the tide coming and going, that we're establishing our routine back again. And so there's no better way to establish that, to reestablish that, is to come and to gather together as a faith family to sit under the teaching of God's Word. So we're continuing in the parables of Jesus. And today we have a very short three-verse containing two parables, three verses containing two parables. And though we have a short set of verses, I do promise a full-length sermon. So sorry, not sorry about that. But I think that the Lord's going to have some stuff for us today. And super excited to be here. Um, To kind of recalibrate ourselves, that where we are in these teachings, because we view the parables oftentimes different ways. Um, For many of us, we can view them as, kind of like an Aesop's Fables type thing to where it's this cool story, it's short, um, it may or may not have happened, um, unless there's talking animals, then it probably didn't happen, unless you're in the Old Testament, that was that happened once. And um, <clears throat> at the end, there's some kind of moral or something to grab a hold of, and you're like, okay, cool, let's move on. But the parables of Jesus, it's not like that. And I found this quote super helpful uh, from this commentator, so I want to read that to you guys to kind of help us in our framing our discussion today. He writes, when we hear a parable, we nod in agreement because the story is true to life and readily understood. Although the application of the parable may be heard, it is not always grasped. We see the story unfold before our eyes, but we do not perceive the significance of it. The truth remains hidden until our eyes are opened and we see clearly. Then the new lesson of the parable becomes meaningful. So we live kind of in this tension that Pastor Ian likes to talk about of we hear this story, but we need ears to hear in order to really hear the story. It's pretty much true of the entire Bible. The more we get to know its author, the more the Holy Spirit reveals to us, the deeper we can fall in love with Jesus and pursue the things of him. So right now, I'd like us to pause. I'm going to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what he has for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm so grateful that in the midst of crazy weeks, in the midst of storms and cancellations of schedules, that you remain constant, that you are a firm foundation. God, I thank you for the opportunity here to open your word. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. 
Okay, super simple today. I'm going to give you my main idea, my outline, and then we'll get to work. So the main idea today for our parables is that the kingdom of heaven is free, but it's not cheap. The kingdom of heaven is free, but it's not cheap. And how we're going to look at that is through this outline. Number one, we're going to talk about the goods that are listed in the parable. Number two, we're going to talk about the encounters of the people when they encounter the goods. And then three, we're going to look at the implications for them and the story and then for us today. Clear enough. So let's jump in. I know Chris just read it, but it's super short. So let's read it again. Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So firstly, we're going to look at the goods. So, super simple. We have a hidden treasure, and we have a pearl, pearl of great value. Now, I don't need to take much time at all to talk about the significance and value of these two things, right? Any pirate book, pirate story, Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp has done a fantastic job showing us the inherent value of treasure and pearls. But what I want to focus our attention on today at this setting is where these goods are. First, the man, there's a treasure hidden in a field. It was placed there on purpose It existed, it has value regardless of if it's covered up or not, but it's there and it's right now ready to be uncovered for someone to take. Over here, we have a pearl. The pearl, again, it's already in existence. It is placed in a specific spot in order to be discovered, though it is there underwater, anyone can find it upon coming across. So we have an uncovered treasure, or a covered treasure in an uncovered treasure. But what do these things correspond to? Now, Pastor Ian has had the privilege of having Jesus actually explain his parables um, with him. Uh, I see what you did there. And though I only have three verses, Jesus doesn't explain this, he draws these connections already for us, right? It's the kingdom of heaven. When we hear that phrase, kingdom of heaven, we oftentimes move very quickly. Kingdom of heaven, Okay, that means kingdom of God. Okay, that's the gospel that is salvation to those who hear. Okay, cool. Got it. Let's move. One's hidden, one's not. Uh, I got the point. Let's roll. And it's in that right there, that kind of reading, that I think we miss actually the intention of this parable. Now, yes, the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, the gospel, these things are true. The individual salvation that is offered in these things of great value, those things are true, and it's not less than that, but the kingdom of God is so much more. One commentator would write this as he's also looking at this that was very helpful. He calls the kingdom of heaven and the what's really being communicated as the manifest reign of God. And so this is Jared Wilson from his book, The Storytelling God. Speaking of this parable, he writes, The phrasing tells us something else important. However, it is not personal fulfillment or individual salvation that is like a treasure or a pearl of great price. It is the kingdom. The kingdom is certainly not less than personal fulfillment and individual salvation, but it is most definitely more. 
And understanding this is essential to understanding what makes the treasure of Christ so surpassingly valuable. It is not simply forgiveness of sins and assurance of salvation that trusting in Christ brings, as wonderful and generous as those gifts are. It is so much more. Then he quotes Romans 8, 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. Gave us up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What we receive in receiving Christ is his kingdom, the manifest reign of God. And that takes dominion in our hearts, and it goes about subduing the entire earth. Now, we're going to put a pin in that understanding of the implications there until the very end. But I wanted to introduce you guys to that understanding that the kingdom is so much more than your own individual salvation. It's not less than that. Okay, So we have the kingdom of God, it's available, it's there. It has been specifically placed in these two spots, ready to be discovered. So now we talk about the encounters. So over here, we have a man who is in a field, and we don't really know his station. We don't know what he's doing in this field, if he is working the land for the landowner, if he's planting, if he... It's just walking down the road and sees something shiny, so he goes and he pulls back some of the earth to be able to reveal what's going on. We don't know if he's filling up sandbags in preparation for a hurricane. We just don't know. But what is true about this man is that upon the discovery of this treasure, his heart and his affections are captured, so much so that he goes and sells everything that he has to come and to buy that field. Let's pause here, because you're probably asking yourself a couple questions that I even asked myself in the text as I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, one, is this guy stealing from the landowner? And two, why in the world does he cover up the treasure? So let's start in reverse. Why does he cover up the treasure and go? Well, the more I read on this, the less significant it seemed. Think about, um, at least for me, when I was growing up, and I didn't really have my money always on me. My mom either had my money or had access to my money. So we would go to Target, and I would see something that I wanted, but I wanted to leave it there and go ask my mom, hey, can I get my money so I can purchase this thing, or can you give me the money to purchase this thing? So what I would do is I would just take it, and I would just you know, put it behind a shelf, you know, tuck it away a little bit so no one else could get it. What's getting up there is it's not deception, but it's I value this so much that I need to go and get what it takes to purchase this. And I will come back and get it. I want to redeem it. So that's what's going on here. So no big issue there. Second, is this guy stealing from this landowner? Well, back then in those times, banks weren't readily available. The original owner of this treasure couldn't just go down the road to his Bank of America, Mid-Florida Atlantic, or Wells Fargo and deposit this treasure into his account. He couldn't convert it into Bitcoin so he could have it digitally. Couldn't do any of these things. So what they would do is they would just literally go out in his field, dig a hole, and bury it, planning that that would keep it safe. But also, wars and people that were greedy for land would come in and want this person's land, this person's farm. So they would come in, conquer the area, take this man, um, either into slavery, into service, or would put them to death, and they would in effect, inherit their land. But obviously, the original landowner wouldn't tell them about that treasure, right? They were hoping to get out to go and get that. 
So continue this cycle over and over again that it's most likely that this person had no idea that that treasure was even there. It's kind of up for grabs. But what the person doesn't do is just take it on its own. He goes, sees the treasure, wants to be ethical in this, so he goes and he leaves, sells everything that he has in order to purchase this field. Regardless of what the repercussions were of the people in his hometown, when he sees that they're selling their house, he's selling his house, he's selling everything, and they're asking him, why are you doing this? Oh, there's this field I'm going to go buy. Alrighty then. So it seems a little silly that he would do this, but he knows of what that field contains, and that is this hidden treasure that the cost of everything is worth it. The other one is a bit simpler. No need to be uncovered because it is there. So we have a merchant who is involved in the collection and selling of precious jewels, metals, these types of things um, for profit. And especially he's on this journey now to find pearls, plural, finding pearls. Now, pearls were so rare even today, but so rare even back then, that even Julius Caesar made a decree that only pearls, because of their rarity and significance of importance, that he'd limited the wearing of pearls as jewelry to just the ruling classes, because it had status. And so this guy, this merchant, who's a working class guy, does not have privilege, does not have these things. He's going down in search for these pearls to make a name for himself, to acquire wealth, to acquire status in the community, and who knows where this would take him. So Scuba Steve goes down there, and he sees in his journey the first pearl. And this pearl is like nothing he has ever seen. He perceives because he knows pearls, he knows their value, but this one has no rival. So much so that he gets that pearl and lays aside any other pursuit for any other treasure to add to it because this one is worth it. And he himself as well goes, the text doesn't say it, but we can assume this because, hey, you just found something that's extremely valuable in his joy, just like the first man goes and sells everything in order to acquire it. So those are the encounters. When these guys discover these treasures, either uncovered for them or right there in the open in their own pursuits. Only one choice is clear. Leave everything and get that treasure. So maybe this is, you're feeling that tug here today. Maybe you were the person or are the person who just live in your life and you go out and the treasure, the gospel, the truths of the kingdom, it's been revealed to you. And you see that as beautiful. And you go and you sell everything to get that. Or you may be a type of person who knows that truth exists and you're searching. You're searching in ways to find fulfillment, for happiness, for status, for significance in your life. And today, I lay before you the pearl of great value of the truths of the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus, in his life, sinless life, and his death for you on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead, showing power over sin and grave, that he paid the price that we deserve to pay and would give you the salvation and completed work that he cried out on the cross, that the plan of salvation was finished and is inviting you into that. These are the stations that we have. This is what the story is getting at. So when we think about now the implications for us today, 
Many of us are believers, so that may have been true of you in the past, but there's still implications today. For those of you here who don't know Christ, my hope is that today you are presented with that treasure, that the hidden, hidden treasure of the kingdom has been revealed, or that in your pursuit of fine pearls that you see this one pearl that we are offering for you today, great price, and you would consider what it means to follow. What else do we have today for the believer? What I would ask you to do is ask yourselves these three questions. How do you see the kingdom? Have you seen the kingdom? Are there competing treasures? And number three, are you hedging your bets? How do you see the kingdom? Or have you seen the kingdom? Are there competing treasures? And are you hedging your bets? To illustrate this, let me give you a little story of when I met Emily. So we met in college, Palm Beach Atlantic University in West Palm Beach. And when I met Emily, my attention was on her. And immediately, she captured my heart. So much so that I was like, I got to get to know this girl. So now, though I'm in college, I'm preparing for a life of ministry or pursuing a degree in psychology, getting ready to go to seminary and everything, that working a job, that now I'm having to rework my schedule. Like, oh, can I do this so that I can spend more time with Emily? Can I leverage my study time and classes, leverage, get rid of the study time, and pursuit of this pearl of great price? And the reason why is because my heart had been captured by her. I wanted to spend as much time as I could with her because of the joy that I had when I was with her. The, the experiences that we had together was, was fulfilling in a way that I had never known before. So I saw her, I noticed her, I took notice of her, and she captured my affections. And then I proposed to her. Not immediately. It's not one of those weird stories. Um, <laughs> fairly soon, I mean... I had to hurry up and lock that down before she realized what she was getting herself into. Um, but I proposed. And so what I was doing in that proposal is I'm saying, I don't, there are no more competing treasures. You are the one that I want. With this ring, I promise my allegiance to you. This is a token of my love and a promise that we will one day come together as one flesh, a husband and a wife. And so I made the choice there to get rid of all competing treasures. Then, on our wedding day, as we are covenanting our love to one another, covenanting our love to God with the witnesses of our friends and family, I was not hedging my bets. I was not making a vow to the effect of, I promise to love you and you alone until something better comes along. Or, well, we might need to rework those vows because I want to out just in case another offer comes, something that can maybe bring me more happiness. I was not hedging my bets at all. I was all in on my commitment and my love to Emily. And what happened in that moment was costly. And I'm not talking about photographers and venue and tux rentals and buying dresses and flowers and all of that. What I'm talking about is that though our love and covenanting together was a free gift that I offered to her and she to me, what cost is all that it was to be single Rob Lercy, to pursue my 
own happiness in the way that I saw fit to pursue my own dreams, my own goals, my own ambitions without a care in the world for anybody else. To get rid of that, to pay that price, to become Rob and Emily Lurcy as a husband and a wife, as a new family to where we would now work together, that we would now sacrifice for one another, that we would seek each other's good, that we would point each other to Christ and walk this life out and build a family. That's what it cost me. And I would gladly pay that price again and again and again for that sake. So, so it is when we are presented with this free gift of the gospel, this invitation to enter into this kingdom of heaven. It's freely given, but it will cost you. So will you buy that field? Will you go all in? Will you repent and forsake your former life of sin, that which would have found success, commitment, fulfillment, and whatever you were pursuing? And would you pay that price to follow Jesus, to surrender to that call? Because if we see the treasure, like in our first diagnostic question, how do we see the kingdom? If we see it as more precious and valuable than everything, then we will do the same as these two men, that we will forsake all, we will lay aside, we will cast aside, we will repent of and wholly pursue after that treasure to acquire it, to get it. And then there will be, in that instance, no competing treasures if we see it for what it is and the value that it truly possesses, and we will not hedge our bets. But some of us today, those last two questions may be an indication of the answer to the first on how you see the kingdom. You may be thinking, well, I want this. I think that's really cool, especially this whole heaven thing at the end. So I'll, maybe I will go ahead and live my life a little bit more. Pursue the things I want to do. Pay off some, get a really good job. Pay off some debts. Compromise in these areas and attain that. Or maybe I want to continue this lifestyle because this is what I find fulfilling to me. This is my truth. This is what I would say my thing is rather than repenting of that and following Jesus. Now notice the, the man who saw this treasure, he didn't do this. He didn't want still his old life. He didn't want what his house still had, which presumably had treasures of his own, trinkets from his life that he would see as valuable. He didn't have a foot in both camps. He didn't take the treasure and uncover it and then go hide it in a different place so no one else could do it and so he could go visit it from time to time. No, family. What he did is that he forsook all that it meant in order to buy that field and to get that treasure. You see, if we see the kingdom of God, if we see the gospel as just an add-on, something to put on our mantle to complete a set, or I apologize because we just finished reading the Harry Potter series to our two oldest, the last horcrux in a pursuit of your life's dream to accomplish your goal. If the gospel is that, the, the tag-on to it, the white picket fence around your pretty family and safety and security, you have not seen the kingdom. You have been duped. The treasure you are pursuing is fool's gold. And you want to know what will happen when you try to cash in? You'll be mocked and laughed at. Your treasure that you thought that you could have and have everything else will be cast away. 
your treasure, your false treasure will ultimately end in your destruction. You see, you cannot have a foot in both camps. You cannot hedge your bets when it comes to the kingdom. You must go all in. John Piper, in a very John Piper way, speaking of this passage, would say, if it costs you everything you have, it's worth it. Notice two things. The man sold everything he had, and he did it with joy. And he quotes, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. The kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth but getting the kingdom is a happy trade-off. And that's the main point. You see, that word joy is in there very clearly, very specifically, because our allegiance to Christ and the pursuit of that kingdom, when we're comparing the richness of the kingdom, the richness of the gospel and its implications versus what I have over here, the fact that you're even able to acquire that, it should be joyful to you and you should gladly set that aside. The Apostle Paul would agree, and he would write in Philippians 3, 7 and 8, but whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He had all. He had everything that his Jewish contemporaries would say is successful. He was set up to do very well for himself. He was trained with the best. He had the best education. He had the best, brightest future, and he gave it all up when he was That kingdom of heaven knocked him off his horse when it blinded him. And then his eyes were open to see the kingdom. Only one choice was clear for him. And he counted everything else as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I, Paul, count everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Maybe... You feel a tug, and you think, what happens if I pay that price and follow Jesus, that I pursue that kingdom? Like, do I get any kind of, like, deal in this? Like, I understand the the end, right? After death, heaven, that's all really cool, but does that have implications for us now? And the answer is absolutely, right? And that quote at the beginning when I talked about the manifest rule and reign of God being the kingdom, this is where this begins to play in. Because if it was only individual salvation, you will wait to the last possible minute in order to acquire that treasure to be able to have it pay off in the end. But if it's more than that, then you will want to immediately do it because of its implications for us today. Now... If you're wrestling with this, it's not lost on you, right? This has been a question that's been asked time and time again. Listen from the Gospel of Mark to Peter as he is starting to consider this counting the cost. Peter began to say to him, Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus said. Pause right there because it seems that Peter's being Peter and is getting ready to say like, hey, listen, this hasn't been easy, right? We've left everything and he's going to start on this whole like, you know, can, can you help a brother out? Can you maybe give me a little bit in return? Like, this has been hard. Like, listen, we've left everything and followed you, and boom, Jesus already knows 
anticipates the question because he's ready with this. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions and, and in the age to come eternal life. Where's the emphasis there? This age. What you will receive now. It just says, and in the age to come, eternal life. You get that. That's cool. But there is something that you can experience right now. Because yes, the kingdom is free, but it is costly. And Jesus knows this. And if you're willing to pay that price, you will be rewarded greatly with the rule and reign of God. I think, well, I'm leaving relationships. I'm leaving my community. I'm leaving these people. I have to leave brothers and sisters. Behold your brothers and sisters. I have to leave my father and mother. Behold a father in heaven who is far greater than anything than you can imagine. And spiritual fathers and mothers who have walked the life, walked the road that you are walking and can help you along that way. Friendships. Lands, we are given a community together. And this right here is the understanding of why individual salvation pales in comparison that this Jesus and me will fail to the Jesus and we, this community of believers. You see, Jesus did not come to redeem individuals. He came to redeem a people. He has come to redeem his church. We are the king's church, and that is made up of individuals, yes, but it is, an individual, it is a community that is a part of something greater that we have been given a mission by the king to go and invite more people into this. That the greatest fulfillment that you can find is life in this kingdom. When you taste and see, when you see the kingdom rightly in joy, you will forsake all and follow him. So when we talk about the tension of this kingdom, that it's free but it costs, it's not your works that will get you this. It is not Money is not giving to organizations. It's not volunteering your time. It's giving of yourself and your life. Show of hands, how many of you have never heard Jim Elliott of Jim Elliott, missionary to Ecuador? Never heard? Okay, great. I want to share with you the story of Jim Elliott. And for those of you who may know him, here's a refresher. Jim Elliott, his, one of his most famous quotes is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Now, Jim Elliott penned this saying on October 28th of 1949. Jim Elliott was saved at the age of six, and his heart was captured by the kingdom. He would go to college, to pursue how, what he would have for what God would have for his life, to learn what it means to love and to follow God and to preach the gospel, to tell others of the kingdom. While at college, he would come into contact with a missionary from Ecuador. And in those interactions, he would tell them stories of his time there in Ecuador and would share with him about this community of people, the Aka, the Wadani, um, they have synonymous names. This tribe 
in Ecuador in the, in the jungles there. Did not know Jesus. The name of Jesus was foreign, unknown, unpreached, no opportunity to hear. But they were a savage people. They had a reputation for murdering outsiders who came in. But Jim Elliot heard of the need because he saw the kingdom. His hearts were captured and he wanted other people to experience that. Because if he didn't go, those people there would never hear. So he and his friend, they go, get on an airplane, go to Guayaquil, Ecuador. They start their language learning process. While there in Ecuador, he meets a young lady, Elizabeth, and they would marry there. It was a civil ceremony in the island. And they would build this missionary team, Jim Elliott and four other people and their families. A um, couple years after the marriage, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott would have a daughter, Valerie. And now they had all the pieces in place to try to reach this indigenous people. So what they would do is they would get this plane that one of the people in their team had and he piloted, and they would circle the region, the area. They would find the village, circle it on a megaphone. They would shout phrases, kind phrases. It's shouting, but it's a plane. Um, to try to establish, like, hey, we're friendly people. And then they would lower gift baskets down with little things that they could see, peace offerings, if you will, that they would be able to understand, like, we're a peaceful people. That these people are approaching us were peaceful. A couple of people from the tribe were intrigued. They went, and finally, after these visits a couple of times, they would send some gifts back up into the plane. Everything's working great. According to plan, you're establishing connection, and now it's time to reach them with Jesus. So they find an area to land a few miles away, and they begin this pursuit of these people. Word gets back to the tribe about these foreigners coming. And the leaders of the tribe did not take kindly to this. They sent warriors out along with the people that were peaceful to them as a way to trap them. And on January 8th of 1956, Jim Elliott and his four missionary friends were speared to death by the very people they were trying to reach for the gospel. They bought the field. They followed Jesus. And we're taking that hope to others. So why would God do this? Many people saw this as a foolish price to pay. But of course, of course this was going to happen. You knew the risk when you went into this. And you did it anyway. And now four wives lost husbands. Nine children lost fathers. And you have wasted the 28 years of life that you had. Jim Elliott was 28 years old when he was martyred. Of the five missionaries that went, the oldest was 32, who lost his life. Another 28, another 27, and another 31. These men counted the cost. And in their joy, went and pursued these people that would take their life for the sake of the kingdom. Was it risky? Clearly. Was it safe? Absolutely not. But was it worth it? Was it worth the price they paid? Only them and the families can answer that question. So I read you the words of his daughter, Valerie. 
Doing God's work doesn't mean that you're promised complete safety or guaranteed you'll see immediate results. But there is immense assurance that you're following the Lord God Almighty, whose plans are far greater than anything you could imagine. Even though my father and his fellow missionaries' lives were taken, their work among the Aka Indians was far from over. My mother and other missionaries picked up where they left off, living and working among her husband's murderers. God used her obedience and faithfulness to ultimately reach and transform the tribe for Jesus Christ. Their families didn't give up because they bought the field as well. They saw the richness and beauty of that pearl and that treasure, and they continued on in spite of the horrific deaths of their husbands. And what God did in that village is beyond amazing. In fact, one of the guys who speared, was a part of the spearing and actually killed Nate Saint, would come to name Jesus as Savior. He saw the pearl that they were chasing after, that they were presenting. He bought the field. And then he himself went and evangelized the surrounding tribes. The Aka Indians, that specific tribe, gave up their murdering practices and became a more peaceful people. They're not all believers, but many were. Many became believers, and their story continues to impact their deaths that their lives that they gave up impacted the children, the wives, the people of that tribe, and even those sitting in Lakeland, Florida, in an elementary school cafetorium here. This is what a life lived for the kingdom does. This is the hope of this creating a community, because if it's individual salvation and that alone and a promised life to come, Friends, you're going to want to continue on what you're doing. But if it's so much more than that, if it's the manifest reign of God, then there is truth to be had right now and experiences and fulfillment to be had that is worth the price that you pay, even if it's your life. It kind of gives us, presents us with this Christian conundrum or dilemma that the Apostle Paul would speak about in the first chapter of Philippians. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. This is the beauty of the call and the treasure. Is that your, your eternity is secured. That's done. That's done. It's been paid for. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. You get that. So if you live for Christ and you die, you get heaven. There's not much better than that. But there's so much more that even Paul is wrestling with is because he can do more for the kingdom now than he can living in the actualized kingdom, right? This already not yet tension that we live in. So right now that he knows that he can provide a community of people, that he can act as a spiritual father, he can act as a mentor, he can act as a church planner, he can act in all of these ways to see the fame of Jesus spread in areas that were unknown, in his security and in his imprisonments. There is great cost for this kingdom. This is not a bait and switch, this is not a prosperity gospel that I'm presenting to you today. This is a come and die and follow Jesus. I don't know what, you will, what will come. Matter of fact, in pursuing Christ, your life will probably get harder. 
That's just where it is. But you can enjoy go and take that because of what you get. The community of saints. Christian brothers and sisters who will walk through the hardships of these times, who will mourn with you over the loss of a child, over a miscarriage, over a stillbirth, who will weep with you through the hardships of cancer and those that it takes from us, to be friends to you when the life you gave up has left you alone and isolated. This is why we planted the King's Church. In order to see a greater worship of Jesus in this community and to the ends of the earth, it will start with seeing a lesser worship of ourselves. That we will sacrifice comforts. We will sacrifice things for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his people. The kingdom of heaven is free but is not cheap. Will you buy that field? Today, will you go all in? Because though the cost in following Jesus is great, the cost of not following him is greater. Think about the people that would never hear if it wasn't for your obedience. If Jim Elliott had said, nah, I'm good. I'll keep the safety of America. I'll keep the freedoms that I have here. Those people that are now written in the book of life that we will one day see when we enter into the kingdom of heaven. We would not know them. It is free, but it is not cheap. Will you buy that field? Let's pray.